You know, the one thing that you can't do, you can't drop your love for art. There are a lot of artists around the world right now that would just love to become a part of your life and style. Highendpottery.com. That's H-I-N-Pottery.com. They're sponsoring this show. They sponsor my entire podcast. They're taking the time to recognize the art that we do every day, and it's time that we recognize their art. Elevate your experience with art. All high-end products are one-of-a-kind functional art pieces. I have been inside their studios. I've watched their art come to life. To find out more, visit HighInPottery.com, H-I-InPottery.com, and tell them that, that Arrow sent you, and the reason why is because they're, they're going to take care of the shipping and handling, HighInPottery.com. Hey, it's Arrow, and this is Play It Forward, a look at the unexpected changes endured by the entertainers, writers, camera people, and all others affected but not infected by the global invasion of the coronavirus. These are real people, real stories, the struggle to play it forward. Episode 81, Science Futurist Rebecca DeCosta. Costa's landmark work has been heralded by global thought, innovation, and business leaders Richard Bronson, John Scully, E.O. Wilson, and Alan Dershowitz, to name a few. Now, according to Rebecca, climate change, tariff wars, terrorism, immigration, and nuclear disarmament remain unsolved because they're similar in nature. The real culprit is the absence of models for solving complex global problems wherein stakeholders have competing interests. Costa reveals how AIs and predictive analytics hold the key to solving dangerous systemic issues. Intelligent, humorous, and entertaining, Costa offers a unique scientific perspective on the headlines of the day, such as COVID-19. We are unplugged and totally uncut with Rebecca D. Costa. The radio listeners and things like that, when, when you hear a term called science futurist, what exactly does that mean so that we can get them on the same page? Oh, that means, you know, look, I don't talk to dead people or read tarot <laughs> cards. I mean, I guess I, I should get that out of the way. I, I just simply look at data. We're amassing so much data. Literally within a few months, we amass as much data as we did from the beginning of humankind to year 2020. And so it's not difficult to connect all of that data together using artificial intelligence and predictive algorithms to be able to make pretty accurate predictions on what comes next. So I don't think that I don't think we need to guess anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, then you, you probably saw this this pandemic coming way before it actually arrived on our shores. Well, it wasn't just me. I mean, we knew it was a matter of time and we knew also that the warming of the earth, regardless of whether you think that humans are causing it or not. Let's just put that aside for a moment. But uh, in reality, we knew that that a virus could potentially uh, jump from an animal to a human. It's rare that that happens. Uh, and it actually, even if a virus jumps from an animal to a human, it's even more rare that that human can transmit that virus to another human without an animal intermediary. So fortunately for us, the way nature's designed, that's a rare occurrence, but when it happens, we just don't know enough about the human immune system and we don't know enough about these viruses um, to be able to catch them and stop them. So they pose a, a tremendous threat. And I think anyone who's a scientist or, or a biologist is has been long aware of this. Now, did any of that research show that the American ego would put us back on this planet in the way of that we're in bigger trouble than what we were back in March? 
Uh, you know, human behavior is hard to predict, but not impossible to predict. And, you know, asking people that, that were designed to be social troop-dwelling organisms to self-isolate for any long period of time, was not, it was not likely that that was going to be very effective. You know, I mean, we're just, our, in our DNA, we're designed to be with others. And that goes back to our, our, our roots in terms of survival. It was, it was easier for us to defend against uh, threats that were larger than any single individual by operating as a troop, as a pack. And so it's embedded deep in human DNA that we, when we see a threat, we come together. That's why all these movies where, uh, you know, a Martian is attacking the, the, <laughs> the world or a meteor is going to hit the earth and suddenly all wars come to an end and we get it together. That, that, that's such an interesting observation in the way that it's the truth, because, I mean, look, look at what we're doing. We we are gathering in our neighborhoods. We are gathering at the grocery store. We don't have to have a conversation with you. We're still gathering. We need that human companionship. We do. And that's why when you come up with strategies that are, are diametrically opposed with what our DNA informs us to do under uh, under large threats, uh, it's not a really effective strategy, and it can't last for long. Even if our, our frontal cortex, which is the rational CEO of our brain, informs us to do a certain thing, we can only do it for a short amount of time if it's unnatural. Being that, that science futurist, what, what are you guys investigating or searching right now in the way of, we got to get these kids back in class? Because, I mean, it, I cannot imagine the impact of this in two, three, five years from now. Well, we just had a study come out uh, literally of tens of thousands of COVID sufferers in the, in, uh, the UK uh, studied over the last three months. Remember, all of this data is real-time data, and we're just sifting through it right now. And we're discovering that if you're over the age of 80, you have a 20-time greater uh, probability of dying of COVID than a 50-year-old. And if you're 20, if you're 50 years old, you have hundreds times more probability of dying than a 20 year old. So we're, you know, even though there is some risk, it is very, very low for 20 and below. And so I have to say that given the actual statistical risk and the way that the data is coming in and and it's. Uh, matching with other data that under 20 years old are fairly safe. I don't think people should be waiting for a vaccine. And here is my reason why. We're very bad at vaccines. Uh, I, I'm sorry, but I, I wish I had better news. But, I, but we're, we're not good at preventing you from getting a disease. We're good at keeping you from dying from it. In, in 1984, when AIDS was breaking out, and we thought if a mosquito bit someone with AIDS and bit another person, they would get it because we had about as much information about AIDS as we do right now about COVID, uh, the Secretary of Health and Human Services of the United States said, hey, we're going to go on an all-out effort to make an AIDS vaccine. That was 36 years ago. We don't have an AIDS vaccine. No. But what we do have is we have methods to keep you from dying. You don't have to die of AIDS anymore. And, and in all the history of vaccines, we've only eliminated one disease uh, that threatens human life, 
of all the vaccine research and that's smallpox every every other disease exists somewhere on earth and we have not been able to eliminate including polio and and uh, dengue fever and, and you know name name a disease it's still out there so i think this idea that you know if we couldn't do it in 36 years over something as important as aids we're not going to have a vaccine and if we do i'm worried that it'll be 10 15% effective and, you know, given all the mutations that are uh, showing up now, you know, we have up to 18 mutations that we've identified. Well, I mean, look at what happened with the swine flu when they thought that they had everything fixed there. Everybody, people were dying. They, it was like, whoa, what, this was supposed to fix the swine flu. Yeah, no, we're, we're, we are not good at keeping you from getting a disease. We never have been. Uh, and we're not going to suddenly get good at it. Science doesn't work that way. You know, it's, it's very inconvenient that we can't get answers when we need them. <laughs> you know, since we're on the subject of swine flu, uh, way back there on page two and three, I started reading stories about the swine flu is starting to break out in China right now. And there's other forms of bird flu. Are you are you under those stories as well? Yeah. And there's other viruses that move from um, uh, from, you know, animals to humans. This is not that unusual the 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 thing that that makes covid unusual is one it's deadly two it's very easily transmitted and three it, it transmitted from human to human where you don't get it from an animal and you know these things are very uh they're very scary because those kinds of problems tend to exponentiate and they move faster than we have the political wherewithal to stop them uh, we need kind of a uh, some kind of an, a, a better emergency system where we can act much more quickly to shut things down, uh, even though people might have thought that that was extreme. Uh, I was already on the radio and urging uh, members of Congress to shut the country completely down for three weeks. If we would have made it illegal to move at all, unless you were a healthcare uh, worker, I think we would have put a stop to this or at least seriously lowered the contagion levels. But it's becoming more and more obvious that we've reopened much too prematurely. Do, don't you think that's because I'm, I'm here on this, in this, the southeastern side of the, of the country where we have hurricanes all the time. And my question is coming from, don't you think it's because we see these, these hurricanes coming, they come, they come, they warn, they warn, and then it doesn't happen. And it's almost like the COVID-19 was, is that it was like, ah, it's not going to happen. Nothing happens. And then it did. Well, what you're talking about is threat fatigue, right? If you keep, I mean, if you keep running around like Chicken Little every day and saying the sky is going to fall, the sky is going to fall, and we wake up and it's a sunny, bright day and go to the beach and nothing happens, well, yeah, people become, uh, you know, immunized to those kinds of warnings, and and I and I do understand that, but that's part of leadership, right? Leadership is is can't be running around saying everything is coming to an end all the time. They have to be very selective in in you know what what uh, they ask us to do in terms of taking action. And we have to understand that where hurricanes are concerned, our technology is getting better and better, not just incrementally, but exponentially. We're getting better and better at being able to track the routes of hurricanes. And so understand that these warnings are getting to be more um, discriminant and, and not, not as frequent and not as alarming as they previously were. Uh, we just launched the GOES satellites, you know, a year ago. 
that are giving us, you know, 20 times the resolution and 20 times the data that we ever had before. And you can imagine the impact on analytics, predictive analytics, when you get 20 times more data. So uh, we can expect that those forecasts will get much, much better. As to people already being fatigued, now is not the time to be fatigued if the forecasts are becoming more accurate. So perhaps we need to you know, appeal to our frontal cortex and be <laughs> logical and realize the warnings are actually getting better, not worse. And we maybe should pay more attention to warnings, not less. Speaking of those forecasts, what what does your research show on the, uh, the COVID-19 affecting the financial gain and loss of this nation? Are we headed into a recession or a depression? Well, I would, you know, I'm not an economist, but, you know, as a biologist, I would say we already had a pre-existing condition economically. That's the way I would put it. Uh, Look at what our debt structure was uh, and, uh, you know, look at the average household and how much debt that they had. When you start running surveys, national surveys, and you find that 80% of the population doesn't have $500 uh, in their bank account in order to... um, Uh, cover an emergency, you already have a pre-existing condition. So, you know, it doesn't take much to topple the economy. I think Wall Street right now is completely out of step with the reality of the average citizen in the United States. And also with, they haven't come to terms quite with the kinds of um, additional debt that we're taking on by trying to keep the economy alive. But remember the old saying, you know, if you're gonna have a business plan, your short-term business plan should should be to stay in business uh, long enough to have a long-term business plan. So under an emergency, you've gotta do what you've gotta do. You've gotta you know, give people money to spend. You've gotta reopen certain segments. You've got to, uh, you know, you, you, you have to do things that you wouldn't do uh, if the economy were thriving. But get, but given that, we there's a big price to pay, and I think we haven't quite come to terms with that. So how come you're not in politics? How come you're not running for office? What's what's going on here? Because, I mean, your knowledge and, and your solution building and things like this, and it's like, wow, we want you. We want you. <laughs> well, that's a very nice thing to say. Uh, I think the, possibly the worst kind of politician would be a scientist like myself. <laughs> uh, you know, I wouldn't have any support from anybody in Congress because I don't really care whether people agree or disagree. If the facts are, you know, stack up uh, and they're empirically demonstrable and verifiable and reproducible, I just don't care what anybody says, you know, (laughs) and and given that the other thing is, is that I'll take a position. But if you bring data to me and prove I'm wrong, I abandon that position immediately. So talk about flip-flopping. I'd be killed. <laughs> okay, how about a podcast? Are you, are you podcasting? Because, I mean, you've, you're, you're a wealth of knowledge that people would sit there and, and jump on that show every day just to hear what you're willing to bring. Well, um, you're very kind in your, in your compliments, and I appreciate them very much. Uh, I don't happen to think I'm particularly smart. But then again, when you're a scientist, you quickly realize (laughs) there's a lot more you don't know than you know. Uh, But no, I I rely on venues like you have, you know, to get my uh, voice out and to get more accurate facts out. 
And people can certainly go to my website and occasionally when I have time between research, I'll put you know some uh, valuable information. I'm, I'm basically apolitical and we all know that you can't win a political election if you're apolitical. Exactly. So no reason for me to go down that road and no reason for me to have a podcast when I can right on the coattails of folks like you. <laughs> I love your attitude. You got to come back to this show anytime in the future. The door is always going to be open for you. Well, thank you for having me and and feel free to call on me anytime. Excellent. You be brilliant this weekend, okay? All right. You same same for you. That's played forward. If you'd like to listen to other conversations like this, pick it up in three different spots. Like it's live, unplugged and totally uncut and view from the writing instrument. All found on every digital platform.